Greetings and salutations. Hello and welcome to this edition of Everyday Ignatian. We always begin each episode by reciting a prayer called the Angelus. If you are not familiar with the Angelus, that is okay, because I have included the link in the show notes. So if you haven't done so already, I invite you to go into those show notes and open up that link so that we can pray together. Thank you again for joining us and enjoy the episode. God bless you all. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Ghost. Amen. The angel of the Lord declared unto Mary, and she conceived of the Holy Ghost. Hail Mary, full of grace, the Lord is with thee. Blessed art thou amongst women, and blessed is the fruit of thy womb, Jesus. Holy Mary, Mother of God, pray for us sinners, now and at the hour of our death. Amen. Behold the handmaid of the Lord. Be it done unto me according to thy word. Hail Mary, full of grace, the Lord is with thee. Blessed art thou amongst women, and blessed is the fruit of thy womb, Jesus. Holy Mary, Mother of God, pray for us sinners, now and at the hour of our death. Amen. And the word was made flesh, and dwelt among us. Hail Mary, full of grace, the Lord is with thee. Blessed art thou amongst women, and blessed is the fruit of thy womb, Jesus. Holy Mary, Mother of God, pray for us sinners now and at the hour of our death. Amen. Pray for us, O Holy Mother of God, that we may be made worthy of the promises of Christ. Let us pray. Pour forth, we beseech thee, O Lord, thy grace into our hearts, that we, to whom the incarnation of Christ thy Son was made known by the message of an angel, may be brought, by his passion and cross, to the glory of his resurrection. Through the same Christ our Lord. Amen. Sacred Heart of Jesus, have mercy on us. All holy angels, pray for us. Society of Jesus, pray for us. Jesus, meek and humble of heart, make our hearts like unto thy heart. Amen. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Ghost. Amen. Greetings and salutations, fellow Ignatians. Happy Friday. I hope you all are doing very, very well. This week, we're going to wrap up um, our mini-series called For the Love of the Liturgy. Uh, in week one, to, uh, to give a frame of reference, in part one, we discussed about how, we talked about how <coughs> excuse me, the Jesuits contributed to religious art uh, through the use of Baroque paintings and sculpture. Uh, in part two, we talked about how that painting and sculpture is coupled with and framed by Baroque architecture. And now we're going to be uh, wrapping this up with part three, which is music. Um, and I want to begin by diving into an old phrase here. There's a lot of old phrases about Ignatians and Jesuits, right? Um, think of the classic as lost the Jesuit doing Holy Week, right? That's a great example. But uh, there's this old thing about the Jesuits with music, and it goes like this. Uh, Jesuita non cantat. A Jesuit does not sing in Latin. Now, why is that? Why does this phrase exist? And does it is it true at all? <clears throat> well, according to well, composer Aurelio Porfiri uh, gives us a really good synopsis of it. He says this quote: "But let us try to understand the reason for this saying about the Jesuits, Jesuita non cantat. In fact, Jesuits place more emphasis on other things than other congregations, which focus on communal life." 
In their constitutions, it is written that the choir would not be used for that the choir would not be used for the recitation, i.e., singing of the canonical hours, and that it was not convenient to keep objects that recall worldliness, such as musical instruments, at home. Excuse me, at home, and this provision would only be repealed in 1995. So the Jesuita non cantat saying can probably be ascribed to this difference in communal life. When singing was synonymous with fulfilling the divine office in choir, unquote. and that is again, composer Aurelio Porfiri. Now, of course, this isn't true. Uh, the Jesuit did not cantata saying much like a lot of Jesuit sayings. It's just not true because the Jesuits have spearheaded some of the most beautiful music in the history of Catholicism, and that's what we're going to focus on this week, right? We're going to focus this week uh, in our wrap up of for the love of the liturgy. Uh, we're going to talk about Baroque music and how it fills. The these beautiful Baroque churches and fills parishioners uh, with, you know, the overflowing beauty of the divine. <clears throat> now, I mentioned in part one, and I'm going to, and I mentioned this again in part two, and I'm going to bring this up again in part three, uh, that word again, Baroque. Uh, you keep hearing this word over and over again. It's like an echo, right? And just like, you know, in Baroque churches, we, again, have been echoing this word Baroque. But is that necessarily a bad thing? To keep repeating this word, I don't think it is, because it is th that reverberation, both figuratively and literally, uh, that uh, that echo that serves as another way to elevate our minds and our hearts uh, to the splendor of the divine majesty. I want to return one again to John Green for a minute. John Green again did exceptional work in articulating Baroque in his Crash Course European History, and in that he says this quote: "Expressing the ecstatic relationship." With the divine and an overflowing feeling of uh, uh, and an overflow of feeling and belief, Baroque music expressed complex ex expressed complexity through the use of counterpoint and emotional and thunderous chords that filled parishioners, both illiterate and learned, with religious awe. Unquote. I'll say that again. Expressing the ecstatic relationship between expressing the ecstatic relationship with the divine and an overflow of feeling and belief. Baroque music expressed complexity through the use of counterpoint and emotional and thunderous chords that filled parishioners, both illiterate and learned, with religious awe. Unquote. And that is, again, author John Green in his Crash Course European History on the Counter Reformation. Now, these sentiments and this thought is echoed by Brian Roach, a man that we will be diving into specifically today. He is the musical uh, director of the, music, of the Musica Transalpina Ensemble. Uh, this is a new uh, endeavor coming out of, I believe, California, if I remember correctly, um, that, um, and that is all about Baroque music and bringing Baroque music back. And he did an interview with LAJ, Liturgical Arts Journal, and in that interview he says this, this is Brian Roach, quote, The musical developments in Italy around the year 1600 were seen as a crucial, crucial element for the, con the Counter-Reformation cause north of the Alps. And this new concerto style of church music was heavily promoted by religious orders involved in education, like the Jesuits, Pyrrhus, and Primonstrantians, I can't pronounce that, I'm sorry, as a means to combat the perceived dourness of Protestantism, unquote. And that is again Brian Roach of the Musica Transalpina Ensemble. Now he used a word there, I want to return to it just for a second, that word dourness, which is absolutely perfect. To fully understand why it's perfect, I want to kind of refresh our memories and go back to part one of this mini-series for a minute. Let's refresh our memories and get a bit of a, 
on the history of this and why Baroque came to be. During the Protestant Reformation, um, the Christendom was basically split into Germany and Northern Europe at large, with the exception of Ireland, um, was fell to the Protestantism. France and Southern Europe uh, remained in union with the church. But it also split in more ways than just geography. Uh, there was a competing ideology between Protestantism and Catholicism over how to actually view art and architecture and music and things like this. Protestants, remember, smashed the statuary, tore down the, the statues and the images, defaced uh, the, the icons. Uh, but at the Council of Trent, the church did the, uh, responded by pushing back and literally doing the exact opposite. They embraced the arts and said that the arts should be used as a vehicle, as a conduit, as a form of education, especially for those uh, for the poor. And it needs to connect with common people and, and elevate their minds and their hearts to the splendor of the divine majesty. And this, again, remember, was spearheaded by the Jesuits. But again, but again, the whole point of this, this uh, edition, remember, is we talked about art and architecture, but they also focused on music. So we're going to focus specifically on that and how music was used to combat the quote-unquote dourness, again, uh, quote, pulling from Brian Roach, of the, um, of Pro the Protestant Reformation, really what was essentially a second iconoclasm. So I mentioned last week that we're going to be diving into two Jesuit saints today and then diving into actually Baroque, uh, into other Baroque composers or what have you. Uh, those two Jesuit saints are Francis Borgia and Barbara Bellarmine. Now, to be clear, they're not technically Baroque in the strict sense. Baroque was, I believe, that time period, musically speaking, between 1600 and and 1750, as far as the Baroque era is concerned. So this would be more like say Antonio Vivaldi and his Four Seasons, which is an exceptional piece if you have not listened to it already. If you have not, I'll, I'll make sure to include it in the show notes. But in any case, I want to start with them because they really are the forebearers and the precursors to the Baroque tradition. Um, and I included several examples from the works of, say, Borgia and Bellarmine um, there. Take, for example, listen if you can, go into this week's edition and listen to um, Francis Borsch's Alleluia. This is one of several pieces that he wrote. Again, it, the, 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 there's a, a certain beauty and a power there. The, the whole point of Baroque member is drama, splendor, theatrics. Um, John Green uses, um, how did he frame it? <coughs> Excuse me. Uses, he uses the phrase uh, emotional and thunderous chords. Right? You hear a little bit of that in Borgia as well. But remember, Borgia was not the only one. Uh, to, that had this gift of music. Robert Bellarmine is another one. And Bellarmine is especially important because his hymn, uh, specifically his hymn to the uh, to St. Mary Magdalene, is still, is still in use by the church today. It was used uh, certainly before uh, Second Vatican Council, and it's still used a little bit, although unfortunately not as often today on her feast day. Um, I wanted to listen very closely to the lyrics here. This is, of course, an English translation. Listen very carefully to what uh, Bellarmine says of uh, St. Mary Magdalene. And imagine this uh, being put to Baroque music. It would truly be powerful. Here's what he says, quote, Father of lights, one glance of thine, whose eyes the universe control, fills Magdalene with holy love and melts the ice within her soul. Her precious ointment forth she brings upon those sacred feet to pour. She washes them with burning tears and with her hair she wipes them o'er, unquote. Again, this is coming from St. Robert Bellarmine. So listen to the, the contrast and the theatrics here. We hear, for example, he melting the ice within her soul. 
uh, washing the feet of our Lord with burning tears, this uh, you know fire and ice almost coming into play. Uh, powerful lyrics like these filled Baroque churches. And then, of course, I want to go back to the Musica Transalpina, uh, the Musica Transalpina Ensemble for a minute. They truly are doing God's work in bringing Baroque splendor back. I've, again, I've included several examples of their work um, in today, this week's edition. So if you haven't done so already, go into this week's edition and listen to what they have. I have three pieces here from them, uh, namely the Gloria. Uh, I also have the Sanctus and a third one called the Cantemus Domino, all by uh, the same ensemble. Uh, and you hear again, reiterating those words of John Green, who puts it absolutely perfectly, expressing complexity with the use of counterpoint and emotional and thunderous chords that fill parishioners both illiterate and learned with religious awe. And that's kind of, again, the whole point of Baroque, something we've been pounding on for the past three weeks now, right? That the whole point of Baroque is theatrics and connecting with both illiterate and the common. Uh, so, but ultimately, what does this and the Baroque style in general, why is it all important? I want to, to wrap it all up uh, grand, um, in, in some. Well, I want to begin with that famous line by St. Augustine of Hippo, to sing is to pray twice. I, unfortunately, I've tried being musically inclined. I'm not good at it. Um, I would like to be musically inclined, but I'm not very good at music. But that's okay, right? Because to, to sing, what we're doing, we're taking our whole body, everything that we have inside of us, and turning it toward the music, to the worship of the divine. That's why when we sing, we pray twice, even though we, we may not pray well when we sing, but when we sing, we pray twice, nevertheless. But more to it, um, music has this just innate ability to connect over time and whatnot, over just over time and over centuries and over um, and in ways that we could never possibly fathom. Um, I've been diving, for example, more into the work of Antonio Vivaldi, who, again, I'll make sure I put him in the show notes. Um, and Vivaldi lived and died centuries before I was even born. And yet I can listen to his music and be filled with something that, unfortunately, modern music just doesn't do. Uh, secular music, modern religious music, they just don't do. And you could be completely blind and walk into a church and sit down. But when you hear that music play, it can't help but, no pun intended, strike a chord inside of you, right? Just this, this sense of, of, again, emotional and thunderous chords that lift us up. But more to it, the Baroque style in general and how it relates to us as Ignatians. Over and over again through this whole mini-series, we're talking about bold. We've been using words like bold, thunderous, emotional, theatrical, um, powerful, dramatic. Um, why is that? Why do we go with that? Well, it's an appeal to emotion for sure, of course, but it's more to it an appeal to the heart. We talk over, over and over again about the Sacred Heart here at Everyday Ignatian, right? Tur you know, making our hearts like the Sacred Heart of our Lord, turning to Him with our whole heart and giving Him His so that He can in turn give us ours. These are motifs that we say all the time. They're cheesy, but they're true. And what does Baroque music do? And what does Baroque in general do, I should cl to, to, to clarify? What it does is that it, it, it's, a, it's a style of the heart. See, unfortunately, you know, we might not all, and I don't say this, and I say this, I don't mean this in an insulting way when I say what I'm about to say, but we might not all be the most inclined academically. Uh, we might not be able to read or write, for example, uh, if you lived in, say, the Renaissance, right? Maybe you don't speak the language. I'll speak to myself as an example. Uh, my, my family is an example. My grandfather was an immigrant, barely spoke a lick of English. I uh, came here to this country with very little, uh, and he lived and died here barely speaking 
the language. He spoke Italian. I'm not trying to call my grandfather dumb, but far from it. But I mean, what I'm trying to say is, trying to get at is that appealing to the heart of someone, that, that, that's tr that you can use that for anyone. My grandfather, God rest his soul, did not understand the, the complexity and the subtle symbolism of the Gothic medieval styles. And that's okay. Most of us don't. I certainly don't. But he did, uh, he did have a heart. And we all have a heart. And the Baroque style music, art, architecture, it, it brings our entire hearts to God. It elevates our entire being to the throne of the divine majesty. And that is why it is what I like to call the everyman style. And truly the pinnacle, in my humble opinion, although biased, of art and architecture and music and the arts in general, Baroque. Because it's a style that anyone can look to and it, it just clicks. Anyone can hear Vivaldi's Four Seasons and feel refreshed. Anyone can listen to the Gloria or the Sanctus and feel inspired. Uh, anyone can walk into a Baroque church and see that famous scene of Ignatius, uh, the painting coming down behind the altar to reveal that statue and be filled with a religious awe and wonder. And that is why um, Baroque is so powerful. And that is why we are, we are, the Baroque truly is a style for everyone. And thanks be to God uh, that our Lord, through the Jesuits and through Ignatians, our spiritual tradition gave us this style. Uh, he chose us to spearhead this style, and we see a resurgence of it, thanks be to God. So that, can, uh, so that concludes this week's edition. But again, I want to assign you a little bit of homework to listen to someone like Antonio Vivaldi or Handel or dive into Baroque music in general, religious or secular, doesn't matter. Dive into the, uh, uh, the Musica Transalpina Ensemble. Dive into that, those works. Listen to them. You don't, I'm not saying you have to listen to them all the time, but like, you know, listen to them every once in a blue moon you know, instead of listening to today's greatest hits. Like, I love BTS, right? But BTS does not inspire me and fill me with something and enlighten me like Antonio Vivaldi's Four Seasons. So I'm going to assign you all a little bit of homework this week uh, to listen to them. Pick a composer that you like uh, from the Baroque period and dive into them. And why does it move you? And I, I encourage you to be moved by the art, just as so many uh, generations of Ignatians have before us. So with that being said, I want to thank each and every one of you for joining us for this week's edition. A few announcements before we close. First and foremost, if there is anything, and I emphasize very heavily, anything that you want me to pray for, please do not hesitate to reach out to me on social media. We are on Reddit and Facebook and Twitter, now called X. Um, Instagram, all the, the channels, all the places. So if you want to reach out to us on social media or reach out to us via email or text or what have you, please do not hesitate to do so. Everything will be, will be kept solely between us, no one else, I promise. Unless, of course, it's something dangerous like murder. <laughs> uh, but in any case, should go without saying. But yeah, it will all be kept between us. And I'll ask you, please pray for me and pray for everyday Ignatian that we can be the saints and be the souls that our Lord wants us to be. Uh, that is the first piece. Second, um, for those who do not know, everyday Ignatian uh, meets here uh, on Fridays at noon Rome time. Uh, so every Friday, um, or we try to do Rome time on, on Fridays, noon on Fridays, uh, a new edition of everyday Ignatian comes out. So if you want to join us every week, I do invite you to, uh, to join us. And next week, we're going to be talking about a piece of the spiritual exercises called the two standards, the two flags, the two banners. Officially, they're called the two standards. 
But, but what are they? Why are they important? Why does Ignatius repeat them? And why are they this recurring motif in our own spiritual lives? And how do they influence our own, uh, these two standards, these two banners, these two flags, um, influence our own spiritual lives today, all these years later, all these centuries later? Uh, that will be next week. Uh, that is the, the second piece. And last but certainly not least, if you want to dive in, dive deeper into the life and the teachings and the writings of the great and holy Ignatians who come before us, think of Miguel Pro. Think Augustine, not Augustine Hippo, although he's awesome too. Uh, think of Miguel Pro. Think of Edmund Campion. Think of Robert Bellarmine. Um, all these great and holy saints. Um, I invite you to go to everydayignatian.com. Uh, there you'll find this whole slew of resources at your fingertips. Uh, you'll find the entire spiritual exercises in full, courtesy of the National Archives there. You'll find the Bible on there. You'll find everything you could possibly need and more. Everything is available, and it's free. Thanks be to God for that. Um, for that. So if you haven't done so, I invite you to go there and, uh, and check it out. Uh, thank you all once again for joining us. Again, please pray for me and pray for the Everyday Nation, and I will, of course, keep you in my prayers. And have a blessed week. God bless you all. Thank you again for joining us for this edition of Everyday Ignatian. We always close each episode by reciting a prayer called the Sushipe. It was written by St. Ignatius of Loyola himself five centuries ago. If you are not familiar with the Sushipe, that is okay because I have included the link in the show notes. If you have not done so already, I invite you to go into the show notes and open up the link so that we can pray together. Thank you again for joining us, and remember, Quodcunque dixerit vobis facite. Do whatever he tells you. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Ghost, Amen. Take, Lord, and receive all my liberty, my memory, my understanding, and my entire will, all that I have and possess. You have given all to me. To you, O Lord, now I return it. All is yours. Dispose of me wholly according to your will. Give me only your love and your grace, for this is enough for me. Amen. Sacred Heart of Jesus, have mercy on us. All holy angels, pray for us. Society of Jesus, pray for us. Jesus, meek and humble of heart, make our hearts like unto thy heart. Amen. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Ghost. Amen.